Good evening, travelers of the night. Beneath the flicker of candlelight, Roll for Impact's shadow dances across the walls, where ancient tomes and forbidden knowledge are read. By me, your dungeon master, Wesley, but you can call me Wes. In the last series, we discovered the mysteries of the fifth floor of the Whaler Hotel. And in this one, we face the consequences of decisions made in haste. Embark with us on the next chapter of The Stranger, an episodic Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast where Shane plays Trevor the Heartless, Asteria portrays Dr. Isadora Glass, Ari maintains the composure of Esperanza, and Matt worships the Saurus Testimonium with Nihilus Von Stonen. Oh, and Slim's here too, but we'll get to that later. Cozy up in the dark night with a warm cup of tea, or coffee, or whatever it is you drink. Turn all of the lights off and listen as we unravel the next chapter of this collaborative story. Let's begin. Esper, Trevor, Dr. Glass, and Nihilus von Stonen. Alarms ring from the citadel, heard in the distance. Bells toll in Port Hillcrest. Carriages of all sorts scattered throughout the city seem to be sprawling across all of the streets. A curfew seems to have immediately gone into effect with these sirens because... Any civilians you might have seen earlier seem to be shuffling into homes and houses frantically. And as you run outside of this residence, 
that you just killed two people within onto the streets. Where do you go? We must get to safety. Quickly. The stout is the closest. I mean, it, it is. It, oh, there's so much going on, so much to think of. Would we even be safe there? We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't trust the whaler. We, we can't trust the whaler. The only person who saw us at that house, who's still alive, is Marta. And Marta is at the salt and stout. At least that's where we sent her. I think for multiple kinds of safety, it behooves us to go to where she is and see how she's doing. <sighs> I concur. We should make haste. Trevor just kind of gives this thousand-yard stare as he's listening to this. He's clearly wrapped with tension. And he just goes, Yeah, 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 let's go. Let, let, let's go. Start. Yeah, let's go. Run as fast as you can. Why do you keep an eye out? You head down the cobblestone streets. A light patter of rain dribbles on puddles as carriages continue to roll through the streets. I would like everybody to roll for me a stealth check, please. I would like to give Bardic to Trevor. He's already a wanted man. I... I was already about to, like, put my hand on his elbow and give him a squeeze. And... Uh, I might need that. Might not matter. I'll certainly take it. What is your inspiration die? Six. Still just six. So, uh, with the help of Bardic Inspiration, I have a seven. I have a five... (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> I have a seven. Oh my god. A fifteen. That's a, a seven, a five, a seven, and a fifteen. Okay. Very well. Nile slips away like a sensitive person and we never see him again. Silas just gets lost. The cleric is the stealthiest. <laughs> As you make your way through the old cobblestone streets of Port Hillcrest dodging your way down back alleys all the way towards the Salted Stout, you find that there's one main road that the Salted Stout rests along, and that's also where the most traffic is. As you hide in the alley just before arriving there, you see it's incredibly busy, and taking pause as carriages go by from left to right, finding an opportunity to run across you do so, hoping that you are unseen with your 7, 5, 7, and 13. You open the door to the Salted Stout and get in. And there you see inside, it's silent. There are some patrons who are staying here, who aren't drinking anything. They're just waiting for the sirens to stop and the alarm bells to stop ringing. Almost like refugees. The bartender stands stalwart at the front, having just spoken to all of you 
not too long ago. You see... You see Edmund Fairfax, the bartender you met earlier. And as you walk across the room and towards him, he looks at you suspiciously as you walk in. Dr. Glass, I think, turns to the group and gives them a look and takes a breath. And she's bracing herself. And she's about to do something similar to... Certainly Trevor and Nihilus have seen her do this before. But if if they're paying attention at all and have any insight... She's not hiding that it's, it's, it's a little harder right now, but she's, she's going to do what she has to do. Nihilus uh, recognizes that, takes a step closer and puts his hand on Dr. Glass's back and says, it's quite all right. Do what you must. And he casts guidance while he embraces his uh, uh, holy emblem. As uh, Trevor, uh, his, his glare hasn't really left him. He is frantically scanning, um, but when the time comes to get down to business, he looks over at Dr. Glass. It's not a blank expression anymore. It's a hint of uh, the dog in the middle of eating your homework is just like looking at you with this like, I know what I did, and I'm sorry, but all wordlessly and is just completely giving himself over to your uh, deference to whatever it is you want to do. And she clocks that with surprise, but there's no time to do with it now. She just turns around and she goes, and demeanor completely changes, and she shows around to the room. She says... Edmund, what is going on in this city? We just began our sightseeing, and now there's all this noise everywhere, and everyone's rushing about inside. We barely got a few blocks away. Why is everyone looking so dour? I, th- I think we could all... We'll have... I'll have a drink. I don't know if everyone else is, but... He gives you a kind of head point that says, come here as he looks across the room and he pours some drinks with the bottom of the shelf uh, swill that he has and puts it on the table. And I guess Dr. Glass performatively makes a face because that's the act she's doing. But she raises the glass and says, cheers, dear. Apparently, we've missed something. And then she makes kind of a show of a pin dropping. She says, oh, oh dear. Is something... Is everything all right? Look, you're either going to be brutally honest with me, or I'm going to send you back out and let the authorities deal with you. And he looks back toward the door to the back room and you see Marta just peeking her eye through the crack. And she's where? Sorry, she's... She's just behind the in the storage room of this tavern. Brutally honest about what, Edmund? That's what my honesty tends to be, I should warn you. 
this place doesn't need extra attention. I'm afraid uh, if you bring it, it could be bad for a lot of people. But I'm not opposed to helping if you fess up and tell me what you did. Uh, Wes, I am inclined to believe him, but I feel it's my professional duty just to do an insight check. Go ahead and roll insight. And I do have guidance. Vilas is slowly approaching as well. So that's a 22 plus and max guidance. So 26 on, on insight. Uh, you see the face of a man who... He has smile wrinkles at the corner of his eyes. He's always a happy-go-lucky, behind-the-bar sort of person. It's his job to do so. He's the bartender. But whenever somebody like this dons the most blank, uncaring, or even concerned look, for some reason it carries more weight than that of quite anybody else who might make that expression. It's a mix between disappointment and, with the 26, some curiosity. You see out of the corner of his eye a twitch. He is on edge. He doesn't know whether to trust or to, to you know, save himself in a situation like this, but as you look toward him, you also see a hatch in the floor just behind the bar. There's something more to this person, a secret that he's quite literally standing on as he looks down, glancing only just briefly with his eyes. He looks capable in some way of helping. Dr. Glass puts her drink down and looks at him and glances at her group and says, I didn't mean to insult you, Edmund. I was hoping to protect you by not giving you information against your will, if you know what I mean. It's often safer for people to not know more than they need to know. We're not trying to be bothered, truly. We understand what you're saying. We're trying to get our bearings here as well. I hope you understand. And he kind of eyes towards the, the room, the back room specifically. He leans over the table a little closer. You know, your, your trip to Port Hillcrest, to the island would have been so much easier if you didn't take sides stayed neutral but when you step behind the curtain you'll find it's not what it seems to be on the surface and well, you picked a side. And he steps to the side and grabs a rope attached to a hatch behind the bar and opens it, looks out towards the patrons who sit quietly as a couple of them look back almost with a silent agreement between them. And 
unspeaking, he gestures his head to usher you in. Oh, Edmund, I was born behind the curtain. I spent decades trying not to pick a side, but sometimes the side picks you. As she pats him on the arm. As Dr. Glass is talking, I think Esper already kind of somewhat jumped to her first step forward to go where it's being signaled to go. Seeing Dr. Glass walk in, uh, Trevor, who accepted the drink, um, the glass itself looking a bit minuscule in his large hand, still has the twinge of a tremor uh, as he sets it down and goes to follow Dr. Glass uh, he looks over to Edmund and just says thank you I understand what you're doing and I'm gonna try and make it up to you oh you will not even a hint of like unease on his face he knows what it's like to be on the lower end of a deal and to accept that he just gives a nod and uh, goes to follow the doctor uh, Nihilus the last one to step in down ready to close the hatch he gives a, an agreement of a nod as well to Edmund and says we will speak later yeah and as he kind of pushes your shoulder down a, a bit just to hasten your descent down the ladder, he closes the hatch, and you're all under this tavern in the dark. There's a dripping sound from the corner. It's wet a bit on the ground, humid. You can see large kegs and barrels for storage, in what dim light shines through the cracks of the floorboards above and a floating dust in the air. You hear, after some time, a few minutes of sitting down here, the door to the tavern open. It's been long enough that you know at this point nobody in their right mind would still be on the streets, so... This clearly isn't another patron or a resident. And you hear as two heavy footsteps travel from one end of the tavern to the other, pulling a bar stool and sitting down. And there's no insulation in this ceiling. You can hear everything as a voice. Well, Edmund, a siren goes off and your bar's full yet again. Tell me, uh, you have nothing to do with this, right? No, no. Another day, just making enough to keep the lights on. I keep my nose above water. Sure. Hey, why don't you pour me a, a drink of that top shelf stuff so we can chat? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Bottle uncorks. Liquid pours. 
you hear a gulp from the glass. You know, um, after this uh, curfew, I saw some uh, folks come up into your tavern. Well, some of my people did anyway. Is that what you saw? Yeah. I just thought it's funny. You know, after last time. I don't know what you're talking about, Percival. Yeah. Tell you what. Tell me where they are. In your bar. <laughs> it, uh, survives another year. Percival, I... I don't know what you're talking about. Sorry. Um, and uh, after the last seizure and uh, tearing apart my bar, you got yourself in a bit of trouble. I don't think you want to find yourself there again. But I'll tell you what. Give me notice and uh, I'll let you rummage about in the morning. Right, right. So, you wouldn't mind if I checked the back, the hatch. I can't help you. Sorry. You hear as there's a, a grab, a scuffle, and a slam against the bar above. footsteps starting to round the bar and go towards the hatch. The room you're in has kegs, boxes, barrels, and you have but a few moments, seconds even, to hide or make preparations. Uh, as in the darkness of the cellar, uh, Trevor's eyes, almost like cat's eyes, reflected in the very low light, just sort of dart uh, around the room, uh, going to the doctor, going to Nihilus, ending on Esper. Just looking around. There's a mixture of fear in the eyes, but there's also a, a more base, animalistic survival instinct kind of painting over his countenance and he's just going to try his best to I mean he's a pretty big guy but he's going to do his damnedest uh, to try and duck underneath one of the barrels and just slowly but surely put his hand on his short sword and just all this wordlessly just hold his breath as best he can. And it's it's normal stairs from the hatch, right? Or was it a ladder, or...? It's a ladder. Uh, well, Dr. Glass would like to hide within 30 feet of the ladder and prepare with her shadowy spectral mage hand friend to try to... Assuming we see that it is not Edmund coming down to try to trip or 
pull our new friend Percival so that he just whoops, slips, and falls. If there is any slightly ajar crate or small space for Esper to squeeze into, Esper wants to do it. Okay. And Nihilus? Nihilus, hearing the situation come to a quickened pace, he opens up his spellbook. It has... There's a line of fear on his face. He's dripping sweat. He's persevering. He's trying to desperately find a page, but it's so dark. He's trying to be quiet. He's rummaging through. He's rummaging through. Even if not, at the last moment, he holds his action to cast a spell. I need to know your held action trigger. Uh, Nihilus, it's when he enters, meaning climbs down the ladder. The moment we would be seen... So if you know that somebody has been seen. Yes. Okay. So for example, if we are on the other side of the door, on the other side of the hatch in eyesight, as soon as I could tell, we would be seen. And Dr. Glass, what's your held action? Same thing? Once she sees, actually it would be sooner. Once she sees that it's not Edmund, uh, her mage hand would do something to trip him, like in a way that he would think was just his fault or the latter's fault. Uh, if you need me to get more specific, I can. We can talk about it. Uh, well, let me just ask, is that something a mage hand can do? Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, so I know mage hand isn't very strong, but, you know, have you ever, like, am I the only person this happens to constantly? Do you ever, like, walk past a door handle and your belt loop gets caught on it somehow? Mm-hmm. And it's just the... I hate it so much. And it's less a matter of strength and more a matter of momentum. So, or sounds like something... an ad. <laughs> it's right. like, like an ad for Mage Has this ever happened to you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you should clip that I think... as an ad for Mage yes. <laughs> uh, okay, think... But I think if there's like a nail... She wants to like hook something of his onto something of the ladder. So it's more of like a... It's not a strength. It's it's like a one movement that would make I him was, trip. I, I was thinking of it more like, you know, he's walking into a dark basement. You know, it doesn't... A cat isn't very strong. It's not going to pick you up and push you yeah. down the stairs. But if it's on one of the steps and you don't yeah, see it coming... it's easy to fall off it a can ladder. throw you off guard. Okay. Let's do this. Um... Everybody, please roll or a renewed stealth check. And Dr. Glass, please roll a no. sleight of hand. But I'm not good at either of those. Okay, a little better. A 12. That's a 6. Same 7 on stealth. Next level can't come soon enough. Okay. 19 sleight of hand. Okay. Total of... Oh, eight. I thought it was a one. All right. Uh, eight. All right. <laughs> you, you hear as the footsteps round the bar, you can hear the jangle of a duty belt, handcuffs laden onto it, and he even gives a bit of a whistle as you hear the spot where Edmund was standing kind of crone to the side with a creak as his body kind of crawls to one end of the bar. He goes to the hatch, 
and you hear the rope pull taut as the hatch slowly opens. And he looks below as a mage hand gives a push just in the right spot to not be noticed, but to cause him to stumble forward, nearly falling into the hole as he catches himself on the other edge of this hatch, giving him disadvantage on his perception check. Fuck! Ugh. Whatever. You hear him stand, slam the hatch closed as he looks back towards Edmund. I'm gonna catch you, Edmund. One day, I'm gonna catch you doing whatever shit happens in this tavern. Yeah, yeah, just fine. And the footsteps recede back across the tavern as the door opens and closes. She goes. The hatch opens up and down crawls Edmund, who closes it above his head. There you have it. That's a mighty big favor I just did for you. Are you are you all right? Yeah, it's not the first time, and it's part of the price of being a business owner at Port Hillcrest. So, does he look like? Did he get a? Did he get punched? Like can Doctor Glass look at you him? You see a, a very rough-looking shiner on the side of his head, and a little bit of blood dribble down his cheek. And she very, you know, presumptuously and authoritatively in her comforting way, just like gestures him over and starts to dab at it and like gets a little like arnica or whatever out of her doctor's bag and puts it on the shiner. <laughs> Thanks. All I'm right, sure um, you've had worse, but we do what we can. Whatever, whatever you all did, uh, this is the worst I've ever seen a search happen. So you're going to be explaining we, this to someone. We owe you our deepest gratitude. I can let you know that Saurus does not forget its history, neither do those who follow him in need, as I will not forget what you did here. <laughs> fuck Saurus, and frankly, fuck the Vanthorns. And he stands up and walks across the room to one of the shelves of shelves of bottles of liquor. All of them look incredibly heavy, large kegs and bottles. But oddly, the shelf slides with relative ease as it rolls, opening a room that seems to be to have been carved into the earth beneath the street. There's a light on. You see gears and cogs watches, little machines, and you see an older man sitting in a rocking chair in the corner. 
Oh? Edmund, uh, you have guests? Yeah. They're gonna be staying with you for the night. Cogsworth, um, they got themselves in a bit of trouble. But they did something that I think the boss is gonna like. Very well. In the corner, you see another what looks to be well, let me put it this way. Slim, would you describe your character? You see what appears to be a man tall at six and a half foot apparently wearing a full suit of armor standing upright and composed draped in a heavy great coat a hood partially conceals the armored helmet eye slits visible it appears someone has taken a dent to it with some sort of bludgeoning instrument leaving the visor crooked steel and leather gauntlets safeguard the hands and wrist and dark leather leggings complete the ensemble the armor apparently had sigils and motives decorating it once but now it is burnt black in a rough manner concealing their details the man is holding a broom and has paused his cleaning of the rather cluttered workshop you have found yourselves in not that you need it to be more than meets the eye edmund but you certainly are yeah you'll find there's a whole city under this city well since you're new here we'll leave that for another time i've got to get back upstairs i don't know when somebody else is going to come in here oh edmund wait yeah. I truly mean that you don't want to know everything that happened, but it might help you to know that there was justice done for Maggie today. He's silent for a moment. And then after what seems like a belabored pause, he nods his head. Good. I'm sure Maggie will be happy about that. Is Marta all right? Yeah. She'll be fine. Good. He turns, starts to walk before he stops for a moment. This should let up by morning. If not, I'll make sure you're okay down here for a little while. After this is over, we gotta get you back to where you were. Otherwise, it'll arouse suspicion. Agreed. He goes to the ladder and pushes the hatch open and closed as he steps up into the bar. Well? I guess... Uh, look! Almost awkward and uncomfortable. Haven't seen real people besides Edmund in quite a while. Please make yourselves comfortable. I will prepare some drinks. As the man sets the broom aside, and despite wearing a full suit of armor, barely makes a sound as they withdraw further into the room. 
All right. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> no kidding, huh? A city under a city. I think you lucked out. Well, this is just a room. Well, it's more than we could afford at this current moment. You been here long? Uh, making conversation. Um. Yeah. Yes, you could say I've been here for a while. I. Um. I, am, Cogsworth. He looks over towards some of his little devices on the table little automaton style mindless machines that walk around um he almost looks uncomfortable as he begins and and this is paladin you would see the man come back with a tray with hot water tea and several glasses and tiny cups of tea somewhat smudged with oil stains and grease as he will set it down at a small table the man in armor would begin to clear the area around moving what appeared to be mechanical gadgets large heavy books leaving room for all of you to sit Baladin, a pleasure. What are your names? Ah, uh, uh, es- Esper. Who has this whole time, like, not said a word, and can only seem to go between states of looking frantically around, or their eyes are just fixed on certain points for stretches and stretches of time. Right now, their eyes are moving all around. We certainly can tell you our names. Are you sure you want that information? The way I see it, if you are here, then we're already quite involved together. At least courtesy would deem it so. Of course, I have no compunctions. I just wanted to, again, not give anyone... in dangerous information against their will. I'm Dr. Glass, uh, Isadora. Trevor the... Uh, Trevor. Um, Trevor kind of just sits down uh, on the nearest uh, seat, uh, takes a bit of water, and just takes a long sip just from the water itself. Uh, thank you. I just... Sorry, I just need a bit a bit of time to, to get my thoughts together. And Dr. Glass, who's sat herself as well, definitely spares him a look. Uh, and the man in robes with a hefty, heavy tome sitting down on the nearest table, he, um, he introduces himself as, Hi, I'm Nihilus, Inquisitor of Saurus' Testimonium faithful as can be at your service oh and also this is gizmo and he takes a little mechanical toy and winds it and puts it on the floor so it walks towards nihilus uh this one's bolt and we have sparky and, and pivot intriguing mechanical devices 
Are they organic or purely mechanical? I I made them with with uh, some sunstones and a lot of love. <laughs> As it should, it's the best ingredient ingredient for any making. Sunstone, you say? Are you getting enough light? Such a small device. <laughs> Ed Edmund will help me out sometimes, and he he looks towards the corner of the room where you see a bin with used mugs and plates of you know food that probably, or rather, was tavern food before it was eaten. And next to it, another crate of discarded sunstones, which likely there's some sort of trade. Whenever food comes down, sunstones go up, and his little contraptions can continue living. Marvelous making indeed. Although at a size like this, I don't think it would run for longer than an hour. But wonderfully crafted. Clearly you have experience. Yes, Gizmo was mo the most difficult. He did not want to live, but I made sure he did. A savior of the arts, then. <laughs> I'd love to discuss sometime. <laughs> It's one and the same, eventually, at a creation as delicate as this. Well, I take it you'll be here a little while. I don't have any other beds, but I have some of these. And he goes to a side of the room, pulls a crate of dusty old blankets and pillows, and pushes it to the middle of the room. I know it's not the whaler, but it should do for tonight. <laughs> uh, honestly, I... I think I almost prefer this. Um, I don't know. I, I'm used to rather rough, uh, rough living, so uh, maybe we can do a bit of talking while we wait for this to blow over and and kind of looks around to everyone else. We can all kind of figure out what the next step is. Well, Trevor, <laughs> after our marvelous adventure on the uh, her royal rose this feels like luxury at least we have <laughs> leg room in here yeah you're right <sighs> thank you we'll make the best out of it and yes there's much we should discuss and he looks at the rest of the group uh, do you guys looking over at uh, Valid and uh, Anna Cogsworth I know we're I don't know how quickly word travels, or if you heard anything from up above, but um, I think you can probably make some assumptions that that state of emergency, the, the sirens going up, we had something to do with that. Baladin would have been preparing your bed rest when you begin speaking about the events that occurred it would be wringing out the sheets trying to get all the dust out of them giving slaps with his metallic gauntlets to wring out the dust and as he'll turn to you Trevor eyes not visible beneath the eye slits in the dark room we are friends of Edmund, and friends of Edmund are friends to us. I imagine that he ran into trouble. If you wish to keep the details to yourself, by all means, 
but consider this a place of refuge and rest until, as your friend here says, it blows over. It's gonna blow over? I mean, hopefully we can go back above ground sooner rather than later. Like you said, we gotta get back to the whaler or else we're just gonna be kicking up more dirt than needs kicking. Um, I had hoped that I certainly don't like that already it seems authorities are looking for us I don't know what I had hoped we could just slip back but now I'm not I think we have to but we must I, I mean, nobody, nobody knows for sure that we have anything to do with what, what happened. Right? I mean, I mean, I mean, there, um, everybody who's in that house is either here or, um, they're dead, they're dead. I don't know what I'm it's just occurring to me I, I don't know what Dr. Puring might have communicated before the end I'm counting on his arrogance As I Dr. Puring Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Priest. Uh, you are going to say something? And and Isadora winces a little to hear the name again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose I was going to say, well, as per as I was taught by my mental father, Patrick, he, he taught me an important fact about knowing what is what. Saurus holds the knowledge of old, and even if you pray your entire life and be faithful to his teachings and he will share his knowledge with you. You as a person do not control what others have over the world in their terms of knowledge. We can act to the best with what we know, but it is out of our hands to what others might know. I cannot say I know for sure what others know about our current situation. And I think it would not be wise for us to worry as much about it. We should simply act what we deem to be right. I, I only mean that as far as I can make sense of it, there's nothing left in that house would, that would have seen us, would have known our faces. So it makes sense that at least to me, that we should be able to walk back into the whaler as if nothing was wrong tomorrow. I'm afraid I know of a way. There's a, a teaching in the lands of Keenstone. It is frowned upon, but it is used for military purposes often. There was once a soldier I was helping recovering. He worked together with a particular mage of higher standings. Um, they headed towards uh, a camp they had to infiltrate, and they had scavenged a soldier out 
to interrogate. Now, before they could start the interrogation, that soldier who they kidnapped had passed away through some deem it as vile magic. There are ways to make even the dead talk. And since there are at least two that I know of in that single house, I would not be so sure that we would be unaware, seeming as how great the forces are that might pursue us. If the lands of Keenstone has that kind of knowledge of magic, and I know some houses perhaps might have links to it, I would not deem our knowledge to be that safe in the lands of the dead. I, I don't think we can go back there. Um, no. It's probably swarming with folks. I, I, we probably... Them bodies probably ain't even there anymore. What we need to do is... Uh, look, I don't know what we should do. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm not Mr. even sure Valadin. what we saw. And she holds up a hand just as she realizes... Or about to say everything in front of these strangers. Mr. Valadin, you appear to be some sort of soldier or veteran yourself. Have you ever encountered such incredible feats as Nihilus here is described? I am not well practiced in the arts of the arcane or divine, although I have read about it in books. Although, if you are speaking of bodies, the authorities probably have them. Yeah. If we were even going to go back there, that'd mean putting our head right in the lion's mouth. And just hoping that it don't bite down. And, Preta, what brings you down here in your shiny armor? The armor... Was shiny once. I found myself as ill, point to a pile of junk. In the same way, Cogsworth has collected these pieces from above. Well, perhaps it's my eyes. I apologize. You see Cogsworth smile gently towards Valadin for a moment. You can tell them everything you feel comfortable, Valadin. Don't hold your tongue on my, my account. Baladin would rest, having not sat this entire time, a hand on Cogsworth's shoulder. He would take the same hand and, with some effort, lift the dented visor. Underneath the visor, you would see a mockery of a human face in metallic pipes and wiring before he lowers the visor once more. I forget, does anyone remember out of character? It was Nihilus who got the info last session that someone versed in clockwork would be able to tell us more about that breathing apparatus, right? It wasn't me. There's like a medicine check and an arcana check, and I can't remember who got what. Nidus knows about the engineer. Was it um, me? I don't 
Maybe we maybe we could say whoever well, got it oh, said yeah, it yeah, to yeah. the other. So Nihilus, <laughs> well, so Nihilus knows indeed that the the breathing apparatus is of specific making, uh, of a very customized, delicate work. Yeah, and I know we know it's not arcane, specifically. Yeah. Is uh. on first glance an advisor? Is that any uh, Wes? Is that any? Taking clicks of hey, those who look similar. Go ahead and roll an investigation check. We'll do. For a total of twenty-two. He did react as, to Beering's name. As you look, and you're looking at the device, um, uh, you know, on uh, the face of um, Valid. Valid. Yes. On first glance, you might think it to be a rebreather or a mask of sorts or some sort of strange apparatus. But as you can see, the crevices, nooks and crannies and the pipework and electronics, you see that the machine goes far, far deeper than just a surface level mask. Um, sorry to in intrude on my thoughts in order to share. Which, but Valid and, and Cogswood, specifically you, you, Cogswood, when the name Buring was mentioned, you reacted. And now that I'm seeing part of what makes you, you, Valadin, I can't help but think that there's a little more of what you mentioned that we might all be involved. Oh, I just know the name Buring because he removed my kidney 40 years ago. Well, that's fair. He's a surgeon, after all. At least what the Buring I know. What did he look like? Handsome man. Uh, slick back hair. Was an avid smoker. It's been a long time. I can't quite remember all the small details. Then again, I was face down and he had a knife in my back. I suppose I have nothing to compare that to anyway. Um, at the best of times, uh, Trevor has difficulty keeping more than one thing focused on <laughs> at a time. Um, hearing, uh, Cogsworth and Valadin speak, uh, he's been in his own head for a while, uh, just sort of more or less assuming Valadin the way they speak is uh, kind of a uh, as just a standard knight. He's uh, been a mercenary. He knows what they look like uh, to wear the full uh, regalia. Um, now hearing them talk more and hearing Cogsworth re rever uh, refer to Valadin in such a way, can I just snapping back into the present do I... Have I ever seen anything like Valadin before? We're in the era of arcane technological marvels. That's what the world thinks. We see amazing contraptions all the time. We see uh, recording devices that mix arcane and machine. Even Nihilus von Stonen is holding... Uh, 
a Vox Brass communicator, crudely made, mind you, but a device that lets you communicate over long distances. That is a marvel. Even these little contraptions that walk across the floor are something you might not have seen a hundred years ago. This, if it is fully machine, is unusual. And Rare doesn't begin to describe what it might be. It might be the technological marvel to match all others. Yeah. To put in context, a few months ago, Trevor was completely taken aback by a voice recorder. So that's that's the world he comes from. Uh, so he is just now coming to grips with everything he's seeing. Like, he's staring at the the small little automatons just sort of moving on their own and being like, oh, wow. And now looking at Validin is just, he can't help but stare. He's not going to say anything. But it's it's a wide-eyed kind of like, I'm in way over my head kind of look. Uh, as he just oh, oh, don't be concerned. Drinking. He looks over towards Trevor. Uh, all of my friends here are totally harmless them little creations of mine like my I, I call them my children but I like to think that well never mind it's totally harmless no, I, I get you I, I think yeah yeah no no yeah no I trust you uh, I think you seem a little too um I, I'm not gonna say nothing but um I never... Here, have this. And he hands you out of his pocket a little spinning top that when he winds it and puts it into your hand, if you hold it outstretched, it spins in your hand. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that... Wow. You see, uh, for the first time in a while, just a smallest little bit of a smile just to distract him kind of creaks on his face okay. and yeah. with your small smile you see a very massive one appear on Cogsworth's face thanks for that uh, he'll, he'll kind of just see it kind of spin in his hands before he kind of closes his, his fist around it gently uh, you um You've been in here a while, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, you're, you're used to all this stuff. Um, this is, it feels like I just stepped into a new world. So, um, forgive me if I'm a little, uh, if I'm a little not well. But this is great. Thank you. And I'll kind of just set it down on the table. Doctor. Um, hmm. And she's was not really paying attention to that. She was kind of spinning her cane a little bit between her fingers and examining the head of it. And she looks up. Maybe we'll talk a bit later when it's less in my head. 
All right. Did I, did I do the right thing? I feel like I did the right thing. Especially in the moment. I felt good. I felt good about what I was doing. I like, you know, having that, that power in my hands. And now, shit just turns sideways and I, I don't know. She stops her cane and hangs her head for a moment. Like, this is not a question she expected and it hurts to hear. And she lifts her head back up and says, Oh, Trevor, I... I understand that this is hard and I imagine this is a strange moment for all of us. I don't think any of us are quite in the right. Uh, Mr. Cogsworth, Mr. Valadin, I don't suppose there's any tea or something warm to drink. Mm. But uh, how... Is everyone all right? How are you? Nihilus, how are you faring? I know that was all dis- particularly disturbing for you. Hmm. You're right about that. And she kind I of like do. puts a hand on Trevor's hand and gives it a little squeeze as though to say like, give me a sec. <laughs> And she turns to Nihilus. As brutally honest as I should be, and always concur to, uh, I do not feel well about the path that we're currently on, about the sins that I almost did just now. I was ready to commit a sin for our cause, and it's not something I adore to. I need to pray, I need to set it right, I need to think and collect my thoughts to what's going on here so much information in such short fast approaching time and it just keeps building up it's like we're being pulled behind a curtain there's so much to see so much I was not prepared for I feel overwhelmed and confused and I do not like before you pray and think which can be very useful uh, I I hope you won't withdraw from us I wonder what you mean by our cause well yeah, I don't don't fret don't worry I I have eyes I have a conscience whether I am a, a follower of Soros or not I can see what is going on this is not right on the ship itself and he points towards Trevor with his open palms. You've been done wrong, clear by day. It's like you're being targeted for unlawfulness. And there's no escape to it. I feel like if I flee, if I retrieve myself from the situation, it will only get worse. Like justice, the right thing needs to be done. And that monstrosity that we encountered, what in the blazes was it even? In all of my stories, in all of my journeys, I've not encountered this like it. It needed to be rid of this world. And this was in a common place right below where we were sleeping. 
What else is in this town? A city below a city. What is going on here? I need to get to the bottom of it a bit. Whether it is my duty as a follower or whether it is my own conscience, I will not flee from this place until I have done what I think is right. No, of course, of course. Do you still think telling the authorities about what we saw at the whaler is the best course of action? I think so. I think the authorities need to be involved in order to... At least about something. I cannot... I, I, I cannot trust to believe that this whole island is corrupted. I, I cannot... I cannot perceive that thought. I, I wish... I'm not starting to dwell on those thoughts. I, I wish... I'm not starting to believe that it is an indirect option to choose to involve the authorities. I, I need to believe that there is something right about this place. It, how, how it used to be. It used to be the jewel of mm. this continent. Yes, I remember. I've read so many happily stories. I don't know if it's the right thing, but I know in every other place it would be. So why not here? That's alright, that's alright. Take a moment, take a breath. It's been quite a day. How are you feeling about what you saw Trevor and I do today at that house? I know you didn't want us to. He looks down to the floor and you can see him think before he collects his thoughts and saying the next words. I understand. I do not agree. And think... sorry if I'm hurting your feelings by telling this. No, Trevor. not at all. I, was, no. I don't think what you did was right in that situation. I do not think it was the right choice. And honestly, you saying that it, you saying that it felt good frightens me a bit. But it also teaches me that my position here and my my place here in the, this path is ever more needed. Because killing, taking a life, should never be easy. At least that is what I think. That is what I believe. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I don't blame you for feeling like you do. I think in a, in a weird kind of way, I kind of... I'm jealous. Uh, you know... I never followed any kind of saurus or, or, or anything like that. You know, I just felt that when the time comes, I'd know what to do. And so to have a, a, a bit of structure to the morality of it all, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't go for some of that now. Something that tells me that this is right and this is wrong. We can try. But you know, Nihilus, you could still just walk away from... Could I? The three of us. Could I, yes. honestly? <laughs> you think I could look myself in the mirror? Yes, I think eventually, yes. I think people are singularly adept at looking themselves at the mirror after getting rid of encumbrance. Isadora, 
all of my life I've prayed to the teachings of a God that teaches knowledge and truth. If I would look myself in the mirror, if I walked away from this, all I could see was a lie. Alive who I am, of what I stand for, for the teachings that I pray for, I would be throwing it all away. For what? Just so I could feel a bit more safe. Safety that I would live in while others would divulge? Who am I to choose such a path? Why would I be more worthy of safety than others? Especially if it's in my control. I've been taught, I've been trained, I've studied... Look, I, I'm not saying I'm some sort of saint and I've done wrong. And he looks at Trevor in the eyes with a particular mention. I am not pure. But, like I mentioned, we can try. And this place needs a reshaping. And I am here for the long run. So please, don't think of me as if I'm some external party here to help. Honestly, I, I don't know how else, but... I'm here to ask you to lend your aid to me as well. I can't do this on my own. Honestly. Yeah. Doctor. Nihilus, just let it's... me be clear. You have devoted your life to knowledge, and I've devoted mine to understanding. Understanding how people behave, and people's behavior has very little overlap with people's beliefs about the world or about themselves. I've seen how people behave. And I don't see any reason why you wouldn't turn me into the authorities at some point, Nihilus. Not today, <laughs> but you'll eventually talk yourself into why it's the right thing to do. If I may. We're, of course. We're rats in a maze right now. We're literally backed into a corner. Some no disrespect Mr. Cogsworth in some hole in the ground underneath a tavern. Oh, none taken. Right now Right now, we are swiftly running out of friends. People that we can trust. I don't care what brought you to the dance, Nihilus. Whether it was providence, whether it was conscience, whether it was pure dumb luck. You made the choice to be here, and I respect that. You were with me in that dank room for days. You didn't complain once, and I respect that. <laughs> so, the Van Thorns won our heads. That much is obvious. They got ins with the guards. That Percival, Percival fella, he was hunting us down. So we can't trust him we can't trust them. Right now, I don't know what'll happen down the line, but I trust you, Nihilus. For as much as that's worth. And I, you... So... Even though I would disagree, and even though we would have our different opinions, I trust you too. Thank you. I think now might be a good time to 
discuss something else. Right. You see my very good best friend, Validin here, has been looking for a reason to leave this looks towards Trevor, Trevor, this hole, and it seems like you all could use friends. Well, I can be the first to vouch for Validin's true friendship. Cogsworth, we've spoken about this. No, no, I think that this is the right time and opportunity to let you get out of this place. You can always come back and visit if you find the time for your old friend Cogsworth. But how would you all feel about having my good friend Baladin join you uh, for some time? Well, <laughs> yeah, actually, that's what I was getting at is we're very low on friends. So I think what we should do is instead of pushing him away, we take the corner that we're trapped in and we start making ourselves a little home. We take the friends we got and we use them to help us dig ourselves out. So if you're... You see, he's still staring at you, Valadin, with... Like, he doesn't know exactly what he should say or, like, how he should conduct himself. He goes, if, if you... If you think that that's cool... If your choice isn't what he says, he motions over to Cogsworth. If you if you make your own choices, then if you want to come with us, we would love the company. Baladin mm -hmm. would finish serving a warm cup of tea with delicate care that you would expect from a butler rather than the armored warrior he appears to be, as he would hand it on a cup to Nihilus. You speak admirably, father, of your goals, although I assume you are quite new to the island, based mm. on your view on it. Mm. It is much darker beyond the walls. I knew someone once who tried to fight against it. They failed, and I failed. If you are following this group, trying to make the world a better place, even if it is through your God and their teachings of truth and knowledge, I would be glad to be of service. Agree with you, Trevor. You could use a hand, even if it's not a flesh. As his hand will whir around his wrist. Uh, especially if there's this much darkness, let us cast a light. But excuse my foul tongue after hearing all of us. Bigger. Would you even jelly belly flick in one two? Join us? <laughs> I like this guy. I would be worried if you didn't, Becker. Remind me of a group that was constantly at each other's throats. True of friends and companions, I haven't seen beyond in books. I think this is cause for celebration. And he 
goes over to a table and pulls out a bottle of Elysian effervescence, as well as a little tanker of oil, and he brings both to the center of the room. He puts the bottle into the center for everybody to share, and he takes the oil and begins oiling his little friends, Gizmo, Bolt, Sparky, and Pivot. Before we celebrate, what say you, Esper? Esper had looked to Valadin for only a moment when accepting the tea, and it's held in both hands, and found apparently something to the lower left of the room to just focus, laser focus her attention on. And it if anybody had been looking at them during any of the conversation, Esper was like a statue for most of it. They barely moved, only sometimes to mechanically lift the cup of tea to their lips and take a sip. Take all of the sips, practically. She downed it in two goes. But it was almost like they were off in another world for a stretch of time, and their name being called got them to go, kind of do a, a sharp inhale, and their head twitched as if they were going to turn towards the sound of the uh, her name being called, but ultimately didn't. And there's there's a twitching at their lips, and it seems like there's a, almost like a look of frustration pushing her eyebrows together for a moment as she starts to try to speak and it takes a little bit uh, any friends that we can get friends are friends are good you doing okay You can say no. I don't know yet how I'm doing. I notice he's asking a lot, but keep us in the loop, will you? We care. I... I... I came... That doesn't matter anymore whatever has happened since we came here we're now in a space where we have to survive and doing what we need to survive I don't think means making easy decisions decisions that don't always feel good or great or decisions that feel like they're always right. But he, he was going to tell if we let him live. I know that somewhere in my bones. I just know that. It might not sit right with me. It might not sit comfortably in me. What I saw and what I know. And what I saw back in the whaler. Or the fact that we're down in a basement now. I... But, but it's survival. And I have to square with that just as much as anybody else here does. And I, I, I guess that just takes a little bit of 
time. Um, yeah, I think, um, I don't, I don't regret what I did. Not entirely. I recognize that maybe there could have been other ways. Not at the time, I think. They were but already I, coming for us. We already knew that we had to go quickly, Trevor. I don't... I know. I know. I, I just... I think maybe I was just given a bit too much time to think on it. I don't blame you, Trevor. I, don't, I, I hope don't you blame. know that. And I think that maybe we've all kind of had a lot of time to think on it and we all have our our ways so maybe it'd be best if we just try and rest for a bit get our stuff together get our heads right and then hopefully the next day Everything will be a bit calmer outside, and we'll be all right inside. We can make a better decision then. Agreed. So with that on note, let us um, cheer to our newest member, to our misfit of outlaws. Uh, If you would have us, Felidin, and please indulge my curiosity, however crude a question. But how old are you? I don't know. Marvelous. Welcome <laughs> aboard. I lose track of the years sometimes, I've too. I've been operational for 80 years. I have so many questions. Uh, well, uh, you don't, uh, you look good. Uh, thank you. I don't know. Uh, so many questions. You do not look so great. And I'll be happy to sew up your clothing during the night. No filter, huh? Hmm. <laughs> Before we get into asking too many questions, why don't we take our rest? Um, I will turn off some of our devices because not everybody has learned to sleep with the whirring and tinkering that happens in this shop um and thank you for taking Validin out of my little hole in the ground it means a lot to me as I'm sure it does him he takes one of the blankets and goes over to a small springed mattress in the corner that squeals as he lays down onto it Uh, it's a big heart on you, Cogsworth. That's just my blood pressure. <laughs> sure it is. Uh, Good night, everybody. I'll take a little sip of that effervescence and kind of shake his head. I agree, we should rest. You would watch while you're preparing for your own rest. Baladin move to a box in the workshop and remove what appears to be a modified pick made for war as they would stand at the entrance with this pick in hand preparing for a long night 
Does he look like he's going to stand guard? Yes. Ain't that something? Lilas goes over to step a bit. And he, like, kind of from behind, you know, in a whispering notice, kind of trying to see how how good its audio qualities are, picking up noises. So, are you, are you going to be resting while guarding, or do you not need to rest at all? It has been a long 80 years. I do not sleep like you do. Indulging curiosity, truly. Oh, I'll be back. <laughs> and good night, I suppose. I suppose I've had worse guards. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sir. No program. Dr. Glass, I think, is the last... Wait, say it again. I was speaking over you, Slim. No. He responds, no program. <laughs> Dr. Glass is the last to stand up, uh, I think, and she you know, takes her cane over and finds her spot. And she's, but she pauses next to Nihilus, kind of standing next to him, and just says, so he can hear. If you cast light in the darkness, everything in the darkness just knows where you are. That's how you get devoured, you damn fool. And then she finds a spot to lie down. He smiles and thinks to himself in his own mind. Hence why everything and everyone should be illuminated. So there is no darkness left. But he doesn't say it out loud because he knows she would have a response to that. <laughs> and they would Indeed. just go back and forth all night and we Indeed. would get a long rest. He thinks with a, a wide smile as he, you know, goes the other way before his mind gets picked up by some kind of the thought detection shizzle. We <laughs> don't want light on you, ugly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nihilus goes to uh, pray and uh, fiddle uh, with his magic book with a small candlelight for an hour or two before finally going to rest. Everybody settles down for the night. You do get a long rest as the night goes by quickly and you awaken in the morning to... Do we get... <laughs> you would see Bowden have a cat in their coat. <laughs> <laughs> a strayed wandered in. Can that be canon? Can Valadin have a cat friend? Like, not a familiar, just a... a like, Valadin loves cats. <laughs> Valadin can like cats if he wants to like cats. Here you go, Batman. Or cats love Valadin, whether or not Valadin likes them back. I just give this cat nuggies, and he loves it. He's like the, <laughs> the biggest, bestest cat toy. You would see the cat perched into his side his chest, appearing to enjoy the warmth radiating from the armor inside. Valadin ignores the cat. <laughs> Everybody awakens in the morning to more lively footsteps happening above. And I think let's call our break here, because I think it's a good breaking point. 
For those moments when the weight of the pickaxe feels too heavy, let this tune lighten your burden and remind you of why we push forward. skyward and take in this captivating night sky. The view from atop the citadel almost has me at a loss for words. You know, for all you lovers out there, tonight's the perfect night to lay out under the stars with someone you're sweet on. So pull them in close, whisper sweet nothings in their ear, and enjoy this next tune. Thank you. 
and soul, here's a tune to keep your spirits high and your feet tapping. Remember, we're the backbone of this city. not just my heart, but surely the hearts of many listening tonight. Fellow Crow Perchians, if, if you've got a piece of advice or a story or 
even just words of comfort for our good friend Leo. Send it our way. And Leo, stay tuned. This vast community might just have the guidance you seek. But before we get to that, it's time for another tune. Take a listen to this piece. I think you'll enjoy it. Esper. You don't sleep much. That's just a fact. It's been like that for years. You've seen many doctors. You've been prescribed and medicated and not much has ever helped. But sometimes you do. It's like a, maybe it's your body's way of catching up. There was another time on Her Royal Rose where you leaned against the window and had dozed off. And this time, as you crawl into bed, expecting another night of restless turning, you feel your eyes drooping. A feeling of tiredness starts to fall over you. Dreams are not something you often look forward to. But you know this evening, you're probably going to have them. Everybody else around you has already fallen asleep. Do you let yourself drift off? I think the problem that allows Esper to submit to sleep is that this has been two days of immense stress, immense 
change. And that is something that Esper is not used to. That is not something that Esper deals with well. Esper's brain is overloaded with the swirling thoughts and the strange feelings and the uncertainty of processing the things that they have seen and heard and even done at times. Esper's brain is crying out so hard for a break from all of that thinking and processing that they can't help but fall asleep and just hope against all hope that this time sleep can be as rejuvenative to Esper as it is supposed to be to everybody. You drift off, and just as quickly as you close your eyes, you feel yourself opening them again. And you're sitting in an opulent red armchair. There's a fireplace crackling on the side of the room, and a sizable number of people standing around, all mingling with one another. It's a mansion, this place. Stunning old paintings on the wall and new. Eloquent decorations. The smell of different spices and herbs permeate the air like a perfume. And many of these guests here are smoking, cutting that perfume with cigarette smoke and sitting across from you you see Nihilus von Stonen and Trevor there's a coffee table between you with some hors d'oeuvres that have been served and glasses of alcohol for those who are drinking you also see Dr. Glass across the room. She's standing near what looks to be a podium, one that would be used for announcements. And she's talking to one Lord Felix Royce. You also see Valadin, who stands near the fire just a few steps away from Dr. Glass, almost out of the corner of his eye, keeping an eye on the conversation. Trevor, Nihilus, and Esper, you're here, bearing in mind that this is Esper's vision and not one that Trevor and Nihilus will remember when they wake up. <clears throat> My first question is does Esper know that they are dreaming? You remember falling asleep in Cogsworth's hovel, and the feeling is very similar to that first dream you had on her royal rose of the dead citadel. But this time, it looks like a, a party in this old manor. Esper is sort of both arms extended fully out to either side of the chair, gripping it tightly and seems to sink down into it. 
Oh, not this again. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not that often that other people come in with... that I, I see... I didn't expect... to have some people I know this well with me. Here's a question. Um, in this dream, is Trevor of his own mind, or is Trevor of Esper's mind of him? I realize it's a bit meta, so I'll explain. Trevor can, and everybody, does have knowledge of how they got here, but the players do not, and they're here with intention. Uh, you are attending this party. And to be more specific, this is the housewarming, housewarming party of Lord Felix Royce that was mentioned in an earlier session, which is effectively from the time we're going to sleep from the next day, one day away. Mm. Uh, kind of hearing Esper begin to sort of mutter to themselves. Uh, Trevor currently has uh, a kind of rock glass in his hand. Uh, he's kind of hunched over the coffee table, uh, probably interrupted uh, in some banal conversation with Nihilus. Uh, takes a bit of a sip. He goes, uh, Hey, you okay? I mean, you look a little pale. Uh, looking over to Esper. Uh, if you're uneasy, uh, I feel that way too sometimes. Just, uh, feel free to loosen the cogs with a little, uh, lubrication. It takes a, give a long pull. Whatever you do, what, whatever you drink, Trevor, I need you to pay attention. I need you to keep an eye out. Esper says this as if it's to Trevor, but I think at this moment, Esper, you would realize that you're almost saying this to yourself. Yes. As Esper is even saying it, Esper can't really maintain eye contact with Trevor. They seem to be, again, in a mode of assessing their surroundings and trying to take in this new situation while at the same time settling into a somewhat familiar sensation that while they haven't been here before they've been here before as in the the context of how they got to this place they're trying to look for irregularities they're trying to look for perhaps the holes that might be in the canvas that they are seeing Across the room, with Dr. Glass, Lord Felix Royce is wrapping up a conversation. Well, Dr. Glass, I could keep at it with these logical games all day, but you and I both know we don't have time for this. I've got an announcement to make. Why don't you go head back to your friends, and any bad blood between us will work out another time. 
He had the gun. He had the man in the chair. He'll... She's gonna... Hmm? She's going to... It's a, it's a ping-pong between Dr. Glass and Felix after a while. Watching them separate especially, it's as if Esper can't decide which one needs her attention more. He goes over to the podium and takes his wine glass, holding it up over the room. And with a small spoon, he bangs the edge of the wine glass to make attention to himself. Everyone, I just want to say how grateful I am that you took the time to come to my housewarming party. There are people here from all walks of life. We have old colleagues. He looks over towards Dr. Glass. And new ones. As he looks to another side of the room. Notable families. Most notably, we have some representatives from the Vanthorns. And that's by no coincidence. Because my announcement today is for them. Uh, Sam, would you please make your way out for me? And you see a man walk through a door to the left of the podium. You recognize this man, Esper. This is the man who was tied up. This is the man who you found looking desperate and in need in the cargo hold of her royal rose with bottles of slow ether surrounding him. He steps out looking good in a suit, though the bags under his eyes simply can't be hidden. You can tell he's still in a similar situation. Now, I've referred to my friend here as Sam Thompson, to everybody I've met. But what I've really been doing the last several years is bringing back someone close to the family. This here, Samuel Vanthorn. And there's a gasp among some in the room. Now, of course, some of you may not be aware, but... Samuel is one of the direct descendants of the family. He disappeared years ago. And it turns out he, well, he had a problem. Got in with the wrong crowd. Wasn't good for him. Got lost. As a part of my emergence on the island of Crow Perch, I wanted to bring a gift to the Van Thorns. The return of their child. Sam, would you? He nods and walks across the room. Now, by my estimations, Sam here is next in line. So, he has his work cut out for him, and I'm sure he has a lot of catching up to do. But, let me be the first to say... I hope that the Vanthorns accept this very humble gift of mine. 
That's all. You can go back to your party. And uh, Dr. Glass, would you uh, see me again in the other room? He steps away from the podium and goes through the door that Sam came through. And Dr. Glass follows. I have um, a quick question. Mm -hmm. When Felix made a nod to new allies, I think was the term you might have used, or uh, co-workers, whatever, um, was Esper able to follow the gaze, and do they recognize the person if so? You look across the room, and you see hair tied back tightly into a bun in a vest that is more professional than it is elegant. Roll history. That is a natural one with a negative two for a negative one. All you can tell is that this is somebody of very high standing and likely among the Van Thorn family, given you know, the context of this, who seems to be a scholar of some sort or a historian, or a lawyer, like that sort of figure. All right. Um, the moment that Felix says or requests uh, Dr. Glass to follow him, Esper is going to jump off the chair and then and reach out to kind of give up, give a pull at the nearest hands that she can, which would be some portion of Trevor and Nihilus. Come on, come on, come on. We have to go. We have to go. And she's going to kind of jump a bit and wave her hand and try and get the attention of Valadin as well. Um, uh, all right. Uh, someone. Okay. Uh, you want me to follow? She's not, she's not safe with him. She's not. I suppose that's right. I know. Came to this party to, uh, benefit from the liquor cabinet but if uh you know i'm still on the clock as it were so i might as well go and see what the doc's all about nihilus on his third wine sips it a bit and notices Ooh, are we moving yes yes we have to go nihilus <laughs> bring the wine Fine. i don't care we have to go <sighs> mr valadin mr valadin please please motioning wildly with her hand for Valadin to follow. From across the room, Valadin would give you a whir of the hand as he would continue to follow Dr. Glass, who I assume is moving towards a private conversation. Dr. Glass walks through the door as Esper starts rousing everybody into action, and you run towards the door, Esper, leading the pack, as it were, and you approach. The door is unlocked as you turn the handle and look inside. And Dr. Glass, I'm sorry. Esper, as you open the door, you see Lord Felix Royce standing and wiping off a knife, the same knife that was given to Dr. Glass in an unfortunate circumstance on her royal rose. You see Dr. Glass slumped over in the 
armchair of the room, bleeding and unconscious. Lord Felix Royce looks back at you. Oh, <laughs> our hallway wanderer. There's something about these dreams that when Esper knows that they are in one, they tend to be quiet at times and keep their eyes open, which they have to remind themselves to do sometimes, because they want to take in all of the information that they can. And for a moment, whether it is the shock or just knowing that this is information, Esper does that. But it melts into something different and it begins to contort her face and tighten it like there are strings pulling her skin back taut. And her gaze is going to turn cold and steel as Esper regards Felix. You will not. And I will make sure of it if I have to that you... You will not. As you say that, you hear the slicing of knives behind you. And if you turn your head, you see that at least half the room was just assassinated by various people. You see bodies falling to the floor and red at this point starting to pool in places as Lord Felix Royce aloud speaking through you to the other side of the room nearly and that is my second gift enemies of the Vanthorns dead and only opportunity to come and this is a good chance uh Esper, your eyes quiver asleep as you feel yourself being pulled out of this dream, and you awaken the next morning in the hovel that is Cogsworth's place. You see everybody else is already awake. You're the last. I think she awakes to see Dr. Glass looking down at her is the first thing Esper sees when they wake up. Esper jumped awake with such a force. Well, someone's awake. There's, there's, there's a, there's a rise and fall of their chest beginning kind of rapid and deep. And soon it can be heard in their, their voice, their breath is loud and it's, it's shaking and quivering. And eventually the dryness takes over their eyes and whether they mean to or not, there begins to collect water and eventually it drips down. Dr. Glass hands her a handkerchief. Thank you. Thank you. Trouble sleeping, dear. I, I, you could call it that. I... And only, only then they're going to bring their eyes to drag up to Dr. Glass. And Esper regards them for a moment as if Esper was looking back at their stabbed body just moments before. And there's this 
this crestfallen wave across Esper's face before it steals back up again. And I think Isadora knows that kind of face. Like, not exactly what what you're reacting to or that it's about her, but the... I think she's on the track. You know, and she says, you know, I... I've talked to a lot of people about their dreams over the years. I don't dream myself, so I'm particularly intrigued by them. If you'd like to talk. This island is very, very bad for us. I think. Hmm. Didn't someone say yesterday that the Van Thorns were involved with the police? Right. <laughs> I don't remember if someone told us that. I'm pretty certain I assumed it, and I continue to. It's a pretty safe assumption to make. Someone said something. It might have been Edmund. It might have been somebody else. I'm not really sure. Someone said the Fanthorns had their fingers into the police. It's a pretty safe assumption. And I... They're a powerful family. I don't think we can... I don't think we can go to them. I don't think we can trust them. You just came to this conclusion... Overnight? I give her a moment. Do you ever have a dream, Trevor, that feels very real, or maybe it doesn't even feel real, but something about it, it clings to you. You don't know why. You might even forget about it. But that part of the dream, it doesn't, it doesn't go away. It comes back. It comes back when you're awake. Well, I believe you believe that. Uh, seeing as how deep into it you seem to be getting, uh, I don't, I don't have many dreams to speak of. The ones that I do have, I tend to remember. Yeah, I suppose in that way you're right. No, I mean, I mean they come back when you're awake because they happen. No, no, that don't happen to me. Sometimes that happens to me. Aha. Uh -huh. That's quite interesting, uh, my child. You know, in Soros' teachings, uh, it lets us to believe that dreams, uh, however inconceivable, they could be theoretically explained that they are an alternative plane of an already existing reality. Uh, it's quite an interesting fact, and some delve quite deeper into it. Uh, but, you know... Who could really prove it, but in theory, a dream would be you from another place. Really? Right. Well, I had a dream last night that I had made three more friends. Isn't that wonderful? See? Did it come true? I'm sure there's a reality somewhere. As they're talking, Esper's going to reach out for Dr. Glass and kind of pull her closer. She's going to stand herself up so that she can get much closer without making glass have to bend too far. 
and whisper in her ear. I saw him kill you. I saw you die. And have the ballroom with it. And she's gonna inch away and let her go. And Dr. Glass had been going to stroke their hair, you know, thinking this was a comfort moment. And then hears that and the hand freezes. And as she's lowering back again, she's going to just do one more quick word. And all it is, is Felix. Wesley, my good man, esteemed DM. Yes. Do you think that in the circle of whispers, Isadora encountered anyone with a power such as the one Esper just described? Dreams that come true. Or anyone who reminds her specifically of Esper. Because Dr. Glass has you know, quickly come to the conclusion Esper is not exactly like her. You know, they're not the same deal. But she knows Esper has some kind of deal. Roll history with advantage. 21. Thank you, Whisper Self. Abelard once said in his many theories and studies that those who lack the ability to dream uh, like some in the circle of whispers he had theorized that when a gift is taken away it doesn't disappear and it's possible that that ability being taken becomes a gift for someone else it was such a malformed and early thought and concept that it never received much study especially after Abelard's death the closest could be and again this is just so far in the realm of theory that Esper is gifted but as far as others in the circle of whispers who had this gift or ability none because however rare the circle of whispers might be equally so would be those who might be affected by it thank you she remembers that and but meanwhile has a lot to process <laughs> because she believes esper completely uh just just for a bit of flavor uh trevor who has been looking at it the whole time has been kind of wrapping up his hands he's kind of had a peripheral view of everything that's been going on uh, he's only really known esper for one two days uh total um so all that he really knows of them is you know esper is a friend of the doctors who probably was patient at one point um and the fact that, you know, they were giving such vivid um, descriptions of their dreams uh, wasn't really perturbing uh, to Trevor. But the fact that uh, 
he's still looking at it, and now the doctor is at a loss for words, which is a rare instance. Uh, now he's kind of like being paying more rapt attention as he's doing. Nihilus uh, looks towards his side and says, Say, Valadin, do you dream? No. Well, all right. <laughs> Dr. Esper, perhaps you should rest more, particularly you, Esper. You are restless the entire night. Esper, in the moment of slowly letting go of Dr. Glass and having the connected stare back and forth is going to eventually the shoulders will drop esper will slump back to their sleeping surface and then pull their small pack from the side where they had kind of used it as a pillow kind of as a hugging device she'll give a little shake of her head i'm so sorry i just maybe i just need my medication for the day and it'll be good and take out the belt with the dosages of the slow ether. Um, take it, give it a little tap tap, clear out the air bubbles from the bottom, bring it to their mouth, crush the top bead of glass so that the pressure lets the actual medication flow into Esper's mouth. And then they will just kind of sit back, try and breathe deeply. And whether it's the taking of the medication or the unease that everybody saw Esper in, they are trying to calm themselves and let the medication begin to take effect. As you take this dosage, as always, a warm feeling flows down your esophagus and everything in the world becomes just a little bit blurry, but in a good way, a little bit numb, but in a good way. Though notably, the effect feels just a little bit less intense than the last time. And then that feel of it not quite being enough settles after the initial relief and Esper's eyes are closed just a moment longer and their hands quickly reach for the belt of medication, roll it back up, hesitate, hold it in a grip that's a little bit tight and then shove it back into the pack. I, as a player, don't know everything about uh, soft ether, but Dr. Glass knows a, a lot about it, especially because her fr of her, a friend of hers who helped develop it for... Anyway, could I do it like a medicine check or something, Wes? Do, do I have something in my bag that might help with any uh, side effects or something? Like, Do I know she's about to get nauseous and I like pull out... Is there something doctorly I could do to help? Like, I know um, she needs this medication. You know, I know it's not. Yeah. Uh, as a doctor, you wouldn't have to roll for this. The effects of soft ether are medically widely accepted within the community. And it doesn't really have side effects, at least is what everybody says. Um, and they do say that, you know, you can expect that Esper is going to feel just a slight amount of euphoria and a numbing of pain. And she won't be feeling sick or ill, but 
you can probably, again, for free without having a check, because you're a doctor after all, tell that she has a very, very slight, um, what do you call it? Tolerance? Tolerance, yes. Yes, building. Do I file that away? Oh, uh, one moment before you head off. Uh, and Cogsworth is going to go up to Valadin and, you know, grab his shoulder and pull him to the corner of the room, lean in, a bit of a quieter conversation. Now, uh, I'm going to miss you, Valadin. You sure you want oh. to do this? Thank you, Cogsworth. I don't know how, I don't know why, but you're quite good at seeing beneath the surface of things. Perhaps that is why you're so talented, creating your gadgets. I'll try to be back, check in on you. I left you a list. Remember to brush your teeth. Don't sleep in the chair, sleep in the bed. I told Edmund to bring some food for this one as he would gently hand the, hand the cat to Cogsworth. Should be good company while I'm away. Yes. Um, oh, right. Don't forget this. And he reaches down into his pocket and takes a small device wrapped in a piece of cloth and hands it to you. You know what it is. And with that, Dr. Glass, Nihilus von Stonen, Valadin... Esper, and Trevor. You make your way out of the tavern, up the ladder, and back to the Whaler Hotel, where it's as if nothing's changed. The, tel the hotel is in full swing. Patrons come and go. The streets are back to being busy, and the city is bustling. And as you get back, there is a carriage sitting in front of the hotel. Dr. Glass, you step in to the lobby where the doorman stops you. Just the person I was looking for. Uh, Dr. Isidore Glass, is that right? Who's asking? Oh, well, I'm nobody, but you have a carriage waiting for you. Apparently a letter you sub sent has been attended to. Oh, uh... That is very efficient. I don't suppose there's a, a card or anything, just so I know for sure. Well, if from Dr. Hypatia Singer of Blackthorn University. Well, I wouldn't dare keep Dr. Singer waiting. Uh, is it all right if I just run up to my room and, and grab a few things? Of course, you're more than welcome. The carriage will be here for the next 30 minutes. I'll be right back down. And she's really only delaying because she's not sure she'll be able to come back before the party, and she should see if there's a, a party dress up in the mm -hmm. up in the room. Yeah, I think as uh, as that is happening, Trevor is actually falling behind up to the room uh, and just saying like, "So you think we're probably going to be going from the university to this party, right?" I don't know for certain, but most likely. Right. Okay. Uh, I think if I come back here in between, I might lose my nerve. Right. Uh, 
I hope they don't mind. I, I, I don't have much in, in the way of finery, so uh, I might just show up as I is. Um, are you... How do you feel about... I mean, I ain't gonna put much credence into dreams, right? But, like, what Esper says is true, and this party we're going to is... It's gonna be something. Especially for you. She looks up at him and just looks into his eyes for a moment. Very seriously. Gravely. And looks away and says, I think we should put a great deal of credence into Esperance's dreams. All right. It is disappointing. I... I think a part of me had convinced myself that he'd left me alive all of these times. Well, now it's clear that he only did that because he needed me for later. Doesn't seem like much later. I know. Very disturbing. All right. Well... I mean, you demonstrated that you can even handle yourself. You know. She shudders a bit when you say that, like, involuntarily. Yes. We'll see. Right. I don't really know what my plan is, but I know everything I've been working towards has led me here, so here I shall go. Yeah. Of course. I mean, you've never been a person who didn't know where she was going. So, I mean, if there's anyone I want to follow, it's someone who knows where they're going. She smiles at him. She says, as a reminder, I tried to fire you and I almost cracked your skull. So don't say I didn't warn you to stay away from me. Yeah. No, I, I remember. I'm just, um, you know. I ain't got much to do here, right? And I just... As soon as I set foot on land, I really stepped in it. So, uh... Let's... Let's say we're protecting each other for... For now. I'd I, like that. I ain't as good as I... I ain't as good as I once was, but, you know... I'm as good once <laughs> as I ever was, right? So... Ah. Uh. We're rather alike in a certain way, aren't we, Trevor? Uh, Thank you for being here. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. It's, uh... <laughs> I'll just take the compliment. No, and I think right before the elevator stops and opens the door, she says... Wait, there's an elevator operator, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, so then... Right after they get off the elevator and the elevator doors close and they're alone, she says, I don't think I've ever done that before. Kill someone. And then she walks into the suite and goes into her room. Then you hear her say, Oh my goodness, I have no time. I need to change. <laughs> I can't see her after how after decades looking like this and then you just hear rummaging <laughs> down in the lobby Esper as you walk in and you see 
Dr. Glass get this important message and then scurry off to the elevator with Trevor, you also see an arms crossed and foot tapping Mr. Augie standing next to the front desk. Esper. Yes. Esper, your appointment, Esper. We're already late. My... My appointment should have been cancelled the moment the terms of it were... were not kept. You see, as two new men in white coats walk through the door and stand on opposite sides of the door. Esper, you're in the system now, and you need proper medical care and attention. Dr. Faust is to administer to it and give permission for your transfer to Dr. Neville something or other. At least that's what I'm told. I, I'm just the messenger, Esper. But you have a place to be. I think if Validin and Nihilus are nearby, Esper still... Like, it, it doesn't really even take much for perception to tell that she stiffens immediately to the point of trembling just a little bit. Especially as these two men in these white coats come, and it's clear that Esper's terms are just not going to be respected. Nihilus recognized this, and he takes a firm step uh, right next to Esper, and with uh, uh, his arm and hand putting on Esper's back, he looks down and says, Are you all right with this, Esper? Is this what you want? No, no. My one condition falling back into the system. My one wish, and I made them, made them promise me. Not that man. I'm sorry to intrude, Mr. I'm sorry to catch your name. I'm Nihilus von Stone, the Inquisitor. Uh, Augie Meridian. Augie Meridian. Pleasure to make the acquaintance. I'm sorry to intrude, sir. Um, is there any chance that there's another doctor available? Um, well, uh, priest? Esper uh, Inquisitor. has... Oh. Inquisitor. Esper has made a, a decision to go back into the medical system. Mm-hmm. She's not well. Mm. Well, she is expected to see Dr. Faust. And after an initial consultation, another doctor could be considered. She's not a hostage, so if you'd like, you could go consult for her. I saw you walk in together, so... If that's what you want. I won't stop you. Well, overall travels. Uh, I suppose I see many I like to use assistance. Uh, say, Asper, would you like my assistance with this particular encounter? You, you could, um, you could attest, I think, to how well I'm managing. Of course. Yes. Yes. I'm sure that it wouldn't be a problem, would it? 
Um, I'm sure. Sorry, what's your title? Your uh, guardian? Uh, they they call me a handler. I'm just uh-huh. meant to get her to her appointment from uh, across the pond. Ah, I see. Um, Mister Mister Valadin, would you would you like to come as well? Of course. As long as that is not an issue, they would turn towards Dr. Augie. If, uh, if Valadin looked down at Esper at all, he would be able to tell that she's fucking terrified. He looks up towards one of the men in the white suits who nods his head up and down and then looks back at Esper. All right. Uh... We'll get you both temporary permits to follow her as a guest, and uh, you can attend the trip. Come on. And he walks by. Excellent. And goes to the side of the hotel where you'll find another carriage. Before long, you find yourselves in the flyover, a cable car system that runs all the way from Port Hillcrest to the Citadel, with stops in between. Simply put, in order to save time, after making our goodbyes at the Whaler Hotel, we find ourselves on the flyover. What would you like to do? As uh, Trevor is on the flyover, he is constantly looking down on the city underneath him, just kind of like taken aback by it. He goes, I don't think I've ever seen a city like this before. Never seen a city like this, and I've never seen a city in this way. Just even at the Sovereign Seagate, when I went in, it was like I was an ant. Now, here, all the ants are down there. I just kind of puts his hand uh, on the side of it. Just goes, I think it's a little on the nose, though. And he kind of rattles the the bars. No matter how far you get, you can't get out. Still caged. <laughs> Prettiest bars i ever seen, though. Yes, they try to make the bars pretty. Just kind of. Are you all right? I don't know. I hope I will be soon. Just backs up and goes back to where he stood beside you. I've never seen it like this either. This or any city. I, when I came here as a girl, you know, we we didn't leave Port Hillcrest. Wes, can I see... Can she see the the prison and asylum from up here? You're looking in the other direction, near the citadel, beside its massive towering exterior walls. You see a very opulent university built into the side of the mountain, separate from the city itself. It's very nearby, and as you land atop the final resting place of this cage before you can step out to your second carriage. You look down on it. It's a beautiful old building. 
It's strange that they let us see the journey. It really makes you realize how artificial distance can be. We got here so quickly, yet so many things are well out of reach. Yeah. Uh, before exiting the flyover, uh, Trevor just kind of takes a deep breath, kind of winces a little bit. He goes, uh, hey, Doc. Yes? Just before we go to this university thing, do whatever you gotta do. Uh, I just want to thank you. Uh, when, when we was talking down in, in Cogsworth's hole, uh, you brought up the fact that we can't, um, we can't go to the guards with what we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you probably uh, had other things on your mind when you were bringing that up, but uh, I let my I let myself go for a bit, and I think I got us into a lot of trouble. So, no. Uh, now, let me finish. I, I want you to know. If something happens to me, that if them guards take me away, I can't let that happen. I came to this place with a, with you, and I plan to see see whatever you got going on through. I, I plan on doing that, but. Just so you know, if they take me away, if they throw me in a hole, they may as well just be putting me to death. I can't let that happen. So, if they start surrounding us, don't worry about me, okay? I'm going to make sure they don't... I'm going to make sure they don't get me. Trevor, I thank you. I respect you a great deal, and I'll take you at your word, but I am going to have some questions for you. You don't have to answer them, but I'm sure you knew I was going to at least ask. Yeah. I get it. Not right now, though. Yeah, let's just, um, I mean, if all goes well here, I'll be glad to tell you everything. The first step you take out of the flyover, uh, the first thing you notice is a bit of a wretched smell from the city. Um, it's dirty. There's smog that comes from the center, but the carriage you find is equally as ornate, and it takes you down a winding path to the university, where you're parked in front, and you're able to step out after what is about 
four, four and a half hours total this trip. It's already kind of early evening as you step out and you're greeted by nobody. The university is quite quiet and calm and the front door has a beautiful picture of a stained glass umbrella. And I think right before they get out of the last carriage, she grabs Trevor's wrist and says, Trevor, I'm going to ask you something and you have to be honest. Does this frock coat look silly on me? I should... It's practically white. I'm... I'm 61 years old. I must look ridiculous. I'm just like... Like... Like a girl. <laughs> um... I'm afraid I got some sour news for you, miss. Uh... I think you do look like a girl. Uh... But... Um... It just gives his arm a little smack. Hey, careful, I'm fragile. Well, don't get fresh. Oh, well, I don't have a change of clothes anyway besides the evening dress, so this is how it will go. I mean, folks walk out with two uniforms, right? It's how they're dressed and how they carry themselves, you know? You just act the part. Confidence. Mm, yeah. She I know you always had a way of seeing right through me, but that will be fine. And you didn't worry about me with her, by the way. She's an old friend. Uh, Other than you, she's the closest I come to trusting a person on this island. Yeah. Me too. Shall we? I mean, age before beauty. You walk through the marbled halls of the university, following the signs for different professors' rooms until you find that which denotes Dr. Hypatia Singer. It's not just an office, but an auditorium of sorts. As you open the door, you see wooden chairs in a tiered level system going all the way down to a chalkboard, a table, and a woman standing over a cadaver. And she looks up. Oh, Dora. So glad you got my carriage. How could I resist an audience with the great Dr. Singer? Please stop. Is Isadora, you too are just as great. I read your papers, you know that. I hope you didn't read my book. I wouldn't say if I did. <laughs> That's very discreet of you. This is my, uh, my, my man Trevor. Trevor, this is Dr. Hypatia Singer. How'd you do? Be careful Trevor. with her. Very nice to meet you, Trevor. Uh, Dora, you're traveling with bodyguards now. I didn't think you the type. Well, 
I'm very important now, and very special, so if I need a little extra protection. And she starts to walk down the stairs towards her, very one step at a time, like step, feet meet, step, feet meet. Well, <laughs> like that it's a step is and repeat. no surprise. Uh, I'm, you know, you told me about it, but now that I see it in person, I... So sorry about what happened to your leg. I, I don't. Anyway. Oh, that's fine. How have you been? I've been well, better now, of course, but there's a great deal to tell you. And it's just good to see you, that's all. So good to see you as well. I practice medicine now here at Blackthorn University. It's been a long time, I know. But watch this. And she takes her hand and she runs it over the cadaver's chest, just slightly above. And you don't see a surgical operation happening or anything of, of skill intact from a medical perspective like she always has. Instead, you see a little bit of black bubbling beneath her hand and an incision that had been made across the chest become begins to suture itself closed Hypatia how you never mentioned that you could is that what you're getting up to here is there an issue? No, I... You know Blackthorn University is known for its study on the void? That's why I'm here. I just... It's just a little unfair, you becoming even more interesting at our age. <laughs> You'd be surprised. It's very promising. This magic, it's, this arcane, it's more potent than anything that I've dabbled in. Well, I'd love, how do you access it? You didn't do magic before, did you? I mean, I, I could dabble in small cantrips. I spent a considerable amount of time studying with the other professors here. Of course. And it turns out that when applying skills, you can affect the, the, the magic's usefulness. This used to take me an hour. And you look down and you see the wound is sutured closed magically. It's like somebody has sizzled together the skin rather than with a, a thread and needle. That's beautiful, Hypatia. Yes. And you too can attend my class for three easy payments of 95 script each. Well, you know I'd pay anything to be your student. <laughs> Enough with the flattery. What brings you to the island? I know you're not here for me. Well, we got here earlier than expected. Uh, I had a few personal affairs planned, and then the saturation came uh, extremely early, and we were rushed here. And we, uh, you know, so we 
me and some people we met are staying in Port Hillcrest. We've been put up, and uh, you know how I love trouble. And I just hoped to bend your ear about, uh, you know, the lay of the land and get some advice on where to go, uh, you know, social spots, things like that, while I'm waiting for the semester to start. If there's well, some place we could talk privately. This is as private as it gets, unless you mean your uh, bodyguard? We no, no. Leave him. Uh, I mean, I, I could leave you I alone just... if you wish. I, and I mean... Dr. Blash just wants to look at Hypatia, just curious what Hypatia would prefer. I'm fine here. Anybody you trust, I of course will trust as well. Only slightly disappointed, Dr. Glass says, uh, yes, well, you can say absolutely anything in front of Trevor. Uh, <laughs> I won't keep it in my head none anyway, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, uh, shall we sit? Are, are you finished with the... Oh, yes. Uh, she takes the cloth and unfurls it over the body and goes over to her desk in the corner where there's two chairs in front of it. Yes, well... So, what brings you to this <laughs> island, and what is it that you're looking to ask me about? Because I can tell you what I know. Well, thank you again for getting me the lecturer spot here. Uh, I know that's not for a little bit. I'm excited to learn about all you do and to bore your students to tears with my own theories. Uh, as for being here early, I don't know if you've heard anything about this party that's happening tonight. Uh, a Lord Felix Roy Royce? Yes, actually, I got an invitation. Do you know, do you know him? I only know him through circles, uh, not somebody I've discussed directly, or spoken to directly, that is. I know he's an up-and-coming sort of person who, well, word has it, is ser searching his way up the ladder on this small island. Yes, I, I uh, heard much talk about him from, you know, uh, clients and colleagues and uh, it was suggested I might be a welcome party crasher I haven't quite mm. made up my mind about that uh, I know he's very in with the Van Thorns which I've heard many conflicting things about I'm not sure how they would feel if you know I'm a bit popular with the the elite families in Sovereign Seagate, but I don't know if my little scandalous book gets me any cred here on Crowperch. Not that it should. What's that look on your face, Dora? You look concerned. Well, I am concerned. I've got so many concerns, Hypatia. I don't know that I want to burden you with them, though. 
She leans over the table and puts her hand on your arm. It's no burden. Here, let me tell you what little I know. The Van Thorns are a family like any other. There's the Meridians, the Scalders. There was a king here once. You might have heard the name, King Thelonius. He's gone right now. He's not making decisions, and so the families have run amok. They are his council after all. But if you keep your nose to the ground and do what you came here for, don't turn over rocks and ask questions, there really isn't anything to be concerned about. Now, this other fellow, I can see on your face, there's something more to it. This Royce? Yes. Uh, what if I already have turned over rocks and asked questions? Well, you have two options. You ask great forgiveness of the powers that be, or you unfortunately align yourselves with their enemies. Power on this island is a balancing act. Who are their enemies? The four houses, they work in opposition with one another. House Vanthorn, House Scalder, House Meridiol, and House Dragar. They are all in opposition, though will work together. It's very political, very strategic. It's not something you'd want to be too entangled in. But simply to have protection that's a good start. She looks at Hypatia, really looks at her. Uh, face she first saw more than 30 years ago and hasn't really seen since, maybe once. She says, This is silly, me wasting your time asking you things other people could tell me. This is what I really want to ask you about. And she takes out of her bag a map. And it's a map of Sablemere and the surrounding area with a big star drawn on it, connecting five points. Uh, Glaive's Rest, a point in uh, Witchvale in the forest, point in the Black Nest Mountains, a point in the middle of the sea, and crow perch. She says, does this mean anything to you, perchance? She looks briefly towards the door, and you see a little twinkle of black energy from her finger as she waves it in the air and the door closes all the way up at the top of the stairs. And she takes the map and pushes it to the center of the table. Dora, I know sometimes you can be a, a dog with a bone. 
But you should know that this is a very heavy bone. Are you sure you want to go down this path, Dora? Look at me, Hypatia. I wouldn't be here if I weren't well down this path already. Dragged down this path. And don't get me wrong, I've made it all far, far worse myself. And if you want to kick me out of here right now and bar me from the Citadel, the University, that would be a very sane thing to do. But I promise you, I did not start this. Very well. She takes out a quill and dips it in some red ink and circles each of the points on the map. Their theories, propositioned by other professors in the university, as to the origin of the island, as to why several months out of the year, salt is so heavy in the ocean that it creates a natural barrier preventing almost any ship from passing. And why half the island as well is engulfed by it. There's a line that inches closer to the citadel every year. Why there's a mountain here in the middle of the ocean, so close to the shore it seems unnatural. There's a lot of questions. And surrounding all of it are some very special people people with gifts. I don't begin to know anything more than that. I, I couldn't say. It's just what I've heard among the faculty. This, and she opens the drawer of the desk and takes out a small shard that looks almost obsidian, almost metallic, has this otherworldly sheen to it. This island holds more than a precious mineral for refining metals. Artifacts were the first sign, and later entire chambers found. The citadel sits atop of the largest subterranean system known anywhere in this part of the world. And the wealthiest, they find themselves closest to the bottom. Some say it's the broom being close to the mines and where all the wealth is created, but others know better. There's something more down there. And the powers that be will do anything to make sure they're the ones to uncover it. And the spire is right here. And she circles the center of all five points. Dr. Glass just 
turns the head of her cane towards Hypatia so she sees the black inlay in the handle. It's similar to the shard. Do you know the name Abelard Cook? Ironically, I do. I have, uh... As a part of my invitation, and she takes out the invitation to the event, uh, and points at the name Lord Felix Royce uh, on it. In circles surrounding this man, by which I was invited, there are rumors that Abelard Cook and him were involved in some way. I only have heard this as whispers behind doors and conversations that I was not privy to. But I know that there's some kind of connection between them. There was, yes. I'm sorry I lied to you about not knowing him. Felix, I think you could probably tell that right away, though. He's dangerous. You wouldn't look so concerned. You, Dora, one of the bravest people I know. He has my aunt, my patient. My aunt Amelia is somewhere on this island. She's still alive and she's being kept here somewhere. The asylum, probably. She leans in. He has your family. It's not the least of it, but... It's the part that makes me the biggest fool. Uh, I... I need to learn more about... Things like this map... Abelard talked about consonance points. And it sounds like the people you've spoken to, the theorists, agree that Crow Perch is a consonance point. For what? Well, he had names for it. The Nexus. He called some of these people with gifts you mentioned Nexus Bound. I've heard that before. What? Where? I just... In the same breath, in the conversation I overheard, where they mentioned Abelard's name, Professor Thaldrin Wavebinder was the one who I spoke to the other day, and also the one I overheard. She, too, is going to be at the event. And Isidore just takes takes her by both her wrists and says, Hypatia, don't ask around for me, all right? Promise me that this is very dangerous. I don't know if that my aunt was one. The Nexus Bound. I had 
a patient who was one, and he got disappeared as well. There's the fact that someone here even knows that term. I, I, I want to tell you everything, but I don't want to put you in danger. I'm then sorry, I shouldn't me. have told you it's okay. even this much. Consider me a friend on the island. I do. And we'll leave it at that. For now. Just try to be careful, Dora. The... How did they put it? The shit runs deep. I know. And I booked a first-class ticket straight in. We should, at this moment, pan away from the conversation, zooming all the way out to the island of Crow Perch, and then back in to another location on the island. All the way south of the Citadel, after having come off of the flyover and taken a carriage down another long path a whole six hours later, Esper, Valadin, and Nihilus von Stonen, you arrive at a small dock by the water. You see an, a smaller island just off the coast with large walls and a tower. Along the way, you would have heard that this is Coldwater Prison House. But in between, there is a building that juts from the water, built right into the ocean beside it. And that's St. Serafina's Hospital. A small ferry will take you from the coast to the hospital where you disembark and are led by Augie through the halls of this asylum. Right this way, Esper. Yes. And on the way there, Nightless would have made it such a pleasant journey by sharing so many fun facts about uh, Kieran Stone. Did you know that, in fact, there are two capitals in there? One is the main one, a temporal one called <laughs> the Tellurium. There's also the religious capital of much more fortune than new. Oh, I have so many stories I could tell you. Esper knows so much about Kieran Stone now. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, Inquisitor, of course. Um, uh, this way, Esper, and he, again, isn't me making eye contact with Nihilus as he makes his way upstairs, and you can hear that this isn't a hospital for, for those who are hurt or sick. It's a hospital for those who are mentally unwell. And out in the ocean here, there are rooms that you walk by where you hear muttering, screams, concerns. You see people being lorded around in vests that bind their arms and hands to their body. And after walking up the stairs several levels up, you get to the top floor. And there is a small office with a window that says Dr. Faust. However, 
long Augie is going to let that door stay shut. Esper is going to... After having walked through this hospital where, oddly, they seem to move more comfortably through, their eyes are going to close in front of this door and they're going to do their best to breathe in and out again. Their small hands are going to ball into fists and then release so that they can walk through the door with a straight face. The door opens and you walk in to the office and you see a white coat, a doctor's coat, with his arms crossed between behind his back as he looks out of the window across the small gap in the ocean between the asylum and the prison. And as he turns around... Esper. Long time no see. It is good to see you again, Dr. Faust. You actually mean that, Esper. I... I tend to doubt that. The last time we saw each other weren't on the best of terms, but I'm just glad you're back seeking help. Well, I... I think... We both know that healing isn't... Oh, what was that word? Linear? There's pains along the way, but without doubt, you helped me heal. Wow. I'm so glad to hear that. I was in the process of transferring here to St. Serafina's and a file came across my desk, a notice uh, you're looking to uh, transfer to Dr. Pettifogger? The tincture salesman? Yes. Well, if my care was so great, why coming back into the system, would you want to transfer? I I want to make it clear first that I'm going on this sort of journey again because, in part, this is the only way that they would let me, but I'm doing it for preventative measures, and I feel like it would be remiss of me not to ignore what you had done for me, Doctor, but to see if there is perhaps a happy space in between for me to be able to function. I want to make sure that I can remain well when I'm outside of the system. But Uh I don't... I want to make sure that I can manage it and do it cleanly. He closes his book with such vigor and let me get this straight you want to move on but my my doctoring has been more than sufficient for you and you want to move to this new doctor but you're thankful to me as your old doctor Esper that's I mean I would say that's a bit of a split personality 
a bit of a, a concern, to be honest. Do I? And uh, while you're more well, more than welcome to be here as her support group, I do ask that you keep her doctoring to her doctor. Oh, don't mind us. We're simply here to observe. As Baladin, with his arms crossed behind his back, would move towards the great window at the back of the room. Well, Esper, I mean, that's a concern from your doctor. I... the asylum had given me pass to do this. They, they'd allowed me to. They thought it was quite alright. I, I had only meant to explain that I wanted to make sure that I was as well equipped as I could be. And you've well, certainly helped to set me up. There is... There isn't going to be an equal to the service that you have done me for 11 years of my life. Nobody is going to have that much impact. Hmm. Very kind words from you, Asper. But I... I tend to think that maybe this, um, this duality of mind that you have in terms of your medical decisions is a bit concerning. Uh, tell you what, let's, uh, let's take a few days under observation first. I would, these two have been with me for some time since I was even on this ship. I've known Mr. Nihilus now for several days. I'm sure that they could provide witness to my state. Yes, yes, but they're not trained psychologists, are they? Uh, Nihilus, you, are you a trained psychologist? Oh, I am an inquisitor for That's what I thought. Knowledge. And, uh, Validin. Mm -hmm. And I oh, am sorry, proficient you didn't say his name. In, and I am proficient in medicine, yes. And, and you there, um, are you a trained psychologist? No. Yeah, so, Esper, as I was saying, neither of these people are trained psychologists, so how could they possibly speak to the state of your mental well-being? We are acquaintances who have spent quite a bit of time together, or are the opinions of friends and family not relevant in your diagnostic? I'm sure you don't mean it this way, but wouldn't Dr. Pettifogger also be able to make an assessment? Do you know who Dr. Pettifogger is, Esper? Do you really know who this man is? Have you seen his advertisements selling tinctures that have absolutely no effect? You want to go to a snake oil salesman is what you want to do. I wanted to go to somebody who was going to offer me new ways to make sure that I could be able to take care of myself. If I understand correctly as well from someone being in the system, as they are free to explore their options, that is a viable way to proceed, is it not, Doctor? You know, um, you're right. Any patient who is going in for a checkup, a physical an eye exam can choose their doctor but it just happens to be that those who are not of stable state of mind 
are regarded as less able to do so. The system accommodates for their best medical outcome, not necessarily what their best wishes and desires are. If we indulge the wishes and desires of our patients here, they would be seeing doctors in all sorts of strange places. They would be doing all sorts of strange things. They can't mentally be able to look after their own medical well-being. But also, I mean, I have these two, and, and even more, I have met other people that I have spent my days around now. There's... Oh, yeah? Are any of them doctors? Yes. Really? <laughs> Who might that be? They have a doctor. That's all I know. I've seen their papers. Yes, in fact, I'm here also sporting for that matter. I'm afraid the doctor himself was not able to be present as there was urgent matters. Uh, but I happily shared the name. I'm sure you would know a famous person as such. Dr. Isadora Glass. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> you know she disappeared from the field. Apparently she's been helping uh, housewives in the wealthy, wealthy manners to get over their depression or whatever it is that a private psychologist does. She hasn't been mm -hmm. practicing in research. But uh, if I do know. remember correctly, in the state of law, uh, she still has a doctorism. She would know. In if fact, I'm, in holding. She so would know if I'm being is. unstable. If I'm not being well for myself she would still know and she would still be I think I think she would still have to report it he looks down at the clipboard again and you see an expression over his face like that of somebody who wants to do something but can't he almost looks disappointed well doctor. if you're being seen by a doctor I would have to consult with them because would. it would be necessary for me to make an assessment. I will send them a message. I will find them and I will I will tell them and I will I'll bring them here. We will watch over her very closely. Yes. Please do. I don't I want to show you my best Dr. Faust. And I want them to be able to come back into this room with me. The glowing reviews. Alright. Well. He outstretches his arms in a facade of, of being open and comfortable with you. Well, Esper. That sounds like a swell idea. Uh, let's have you please bring this doctor to me so I can assess her ability to take care of your well-being. However, you are still my patient for the time being. So he reaches beneath the desk, unlocks a drawer, and pulls it open. You hear the rattling of bottles within, and he takes out... Ten vials of slow ether 
that seem to be tinted just a little bit yellow. It, all it takes is the sound of bottles clinking for Esper to break the facade that they had going on and there is a shivering recoil from them before the mask comes back up immediately. Esper, this is a prescription. I heard that you got one from your last doctor who brought you to me. Well, something like that. Anyway, here's some slow ether. It's my own formula. It'll keep you well until I get to meet your doctor. Thank you, Dr. Faust. You're welcome, Esper. So great to see you again. You're in good hands. We will... We will be back soon. I'm sure you will. Here you are, and he holds it out to you. Her hand reaches forward, and in a smooth motion, she takes it, scoops it back out. There's like... There's no pause in the motion of her arm to get this set of files. Well... I know it's been a long trip to get here, but it was medically necessary. He claps. All right. And uh, the door opens, and you see three very large, burly medical assistants to have been standing out there as if ready to come in. And they open and move away for you. Much appreciated, Doctor. Till next time. It was very good to see you again. Till next time. And uh, in... Inquisitor, I take it. Mm. If you ever need a checkup, just come to me, Dr. Faust. Oh, I'll be sure to keep that in mind. I do appreciate it. I would love to spread the fate uh, into a place like this as well. Yes, and I would love to talk to a priest about his delusions of a higher power. Oh, that's quite all right. The wonders themselves show action through belief. Yes. You have a beautiful view here in your office. Make sure to enjoy it again. Once we meet again. You, you enjoy the rest of your night, Doctor. We should, we should be on our way back before it gets too late. Oh, it's, uh... By the way, the, the ferry has stopped running already. It's uh, two a day. So uh, you'll have to stay the night here. I hope you understand. You're t Don't worry, you're not in the patients' rooms. We have housing for guests. That is very grateful of you. Thank you. Uh, nurses, would you show them to their rooms, please? Yes. And... They walk down the hall to lead you to your accommodations. After being let down, Valandin is keeping an eye out for any rooms labeled pharmacy or storage. I would say with certainty you would find both of those along the way. You could take a mental note of their location. He will do that. You get... All the way down to three separate rooms side by side. They're almost indistinguishable from the rest of the rooms in this asylum. As the doors open, 
you see beds, very basic nightstands. Honestly, if it is for guests, it bears no much, not much difference from the rest of the building. And since it's been already a very long session, perhaps we should end there for tonight. Sounds very well. Oh my god! Fuck this guy! I like how Matt (laughs) immediately knew what I meant by the lovely view. (laughs) (laughs) Are you thinking of throwing him out of the window? Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I was like, we're like, this is gonna be our office. Screw you guys. <laughs> oh uh, it's gonna be a great view with your head on the spike. <laughs> I didn't quite know the direction you were gonna take, how much of an asshole Faust was gonna be, but you nailed it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when you mentioned Dr. Dr. Glass, you know, he is required to consult yes. all doctors working on her file before he can make decisions. So, yeah, he has to I was really Dr. trying Glass. to see how long I can avoid before having to well, use another character's name, but knew it was going to be it was it had to be there. That's why Nihilus wanted to be here present um to help guide that conversation in Dr. Glass's stead. Yeah, he as a scholar love the opportunity to visit the university. <laughs> There'll be, unless we all die, there'll be plenty of chances. I think for that. 